In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our text is the Gospel reading, which you've already heard. You may be seated. Tonight we have a buy one, get one free for those who point us to our Savior. Our Gospel text starts not with Andrew, but with John the Baptizer. He has Andrew and another man with him, and he says as Jesus walks by, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In case you haven't figured it out by now, the word behold is just a fancy Bible way of saying, Hey, look, John is the model for all who would point us to the Savior. And in so doing, John provides an encouraging example for all Christians and especially for St. Andrew. So let's start with what we know about Andrew. He is among the first of the Lord's disciples, as we heard in our Gospel reading. We know that he is the brother of St. Simon Peter, both of whom were fishermen, the sons of a man named Jonah. Later, Andrew is named as one of the twelve apostles, those men, those men handpicked by Jesus himself to preach the word, that is, to point others to Jesus as his authorized representatives to the church. According to church history, St. Andrew carried the message of Christ's death and resurrection as far as Scythia, or Thrace, which puts Andrew in the eastern part of the Roman Empire, which today is either modern-day Russia or down in Bulgaria. St. Andrew plays prominently in the piety of the Slavic Orthodox churches in, those er in that area, and they've actually chosen Andrew as their patron saint. He was later crucified at Patras in Achaia, which is in modern-day Greece, and he felt that he was unworthy to die in the same manner as his Lord, and so he begged his torturers to crucify him on an X-shaped cross. As a result, anytime you see a depiction of Andrew, you usually see some sort of X included in that picture. Now, however interesting and relevant that might be for us tonight, I would like to focus on one particular detail about St. Andrew that we just sang in our hymn. We said this, All praise, O Lord, for Andrew, the first to welcome you, you, uh, whose witness to his brother named you Messiah true. Andrew teaches us how to point to Jesus among those we might actually find the most difficulty in witnessing, the very members of our own families. Here again, the gospel reading in part. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now I'll admit, this is something that I have personally struggled with. How to talk about Jesus among unbelieving family members. In my case, a lot of them were Christians at one point, but are no longer, which I think sort of adds to my frustration. 
And I think in a lot of ways, it's much easier to witness to a complete and total stranger. Think about it. If you go up to a complete stranger and you tell them about Jesus, there's a real possibility that you will never, ever interact with that person again. Even if it goes poorly, even if it goes well, even if your evangelism effort is rejected, you may never see that person again. Now, I'm not saying that there's nothing that would make you nervous about that kind of encounter, but strangers are here and then, well, they're gone. That's the definition of a stranger. A family member, though, they're here to stay. You'll see them at Christmas. You'll see them at the family reunion. If you upset a family member, there's a lot at stake, especially in our very charged climate today. Saying the wrong thing might cause a big rift, not just between you and that member of your family, but it might cause a whole brouhaha in the larger family as well. And unfortunately, Jesus tells us that there will be division in families with the coming of the gospel. He says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This, Jesus says, is a cross that some of us will bear this side of glory. For he says in the sentence right after that, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me, X-shaped or not, is not worthy of me. Dear saints, the bad news is that sometimes the gospel does divide us. Even if we present the gospel in the most convincing, winsome, and loving way, we may still be rejected. That is a reality that we must be prepared to face. Our Lord was sent to his own, and his own received him not. And as disciples of the Lord Jesus, we should expect the same kind of treatment. But here's the thing. Do you remember a few weeks ago when we met St. James of Jerusalem, the brother of our Lord, and we learned how he initially rejected his own brother as the Messiah? Eventually, James did come around and became a pillar of the church in Jerusalem. We don't know the Lord's timetable when it comes to our family members. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But here's what we do know. I'll give you three things. First, God promises to work through his word. God promises through Isaiah in the 55th chapter of his book, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven... And do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that comes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. 
God's word will not return to him empty. It will do exactly what he sends it out to do according to his own timetable. Likewise, we heard St. Paul in the epistle reading from Romans 10 say, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Second, God wants all people to be saved, even the most hardened unbeliever. When God speaks to those who boldly reject him, in Ezekiel 18, we read from Ezekiel 3 earlier. We're going to fast forward to Ezekiel 18. He says, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. St. Paul picks up this thread in 1 Timothy 2, saying, God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. St. Peter also was thinking about the heart of God when he was talking about the coming of the Lord on the last day and how it seems like he's taking forever to get here. He writes this in 2 Peter 3. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is even a rebuke toward us when we become impatient about our Lord's coming. God is waiting to return in judgment because he wants his wedding banquet to be full. He wants as many people there as can get there. Lastly, we know that God also works through our acts of kindness and love towards others as we live out the Christian life. St. Peter, in writing to Christian wives who are married to unbelieving husbands in 1 Peter chapter 3, says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. This sounds an awful lot like what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When unbelievers see Christians living in faith toward God and fervent love toward one another, especially when we suffer as Christians for it, Jesus tells us that there will be those among the unbelieving world who will see those things and they will glorify him. That is, they will praise our God and come to know him by faith through our actions towards them. St. Andrew shows us a pattern of love for his Savior that leads him in turn to point others to Jesus. And this is how Andrew points us to Jesus, not necessarily as an apostle, especially since we don't have any of his writings like we do with Matthew or Paul or any of those guys. But he does point us to Jesus in that he talks to other people whom God has placed around him, including his own brother. He points us to God who promises to work through his word who loves even the most hardened unbeliever, and who can even act through the acts of love 
of his Christian people, when our words of evangelism fail us. And the really beautiful thing in all of that is this. We may never know the effect of sharing Jesus with a total stranger. We may not see it until the last day when we see that guy standing before the throne of God with us and we say, hey, I remember I talked to that guy. But if we patiently take the opportunities that God has given us to share Jesus with our unbelieving family members, we may see it bear fruit this side of glory. Let us pray. We indeed praise you, Lord, for Andrew, whose witness to his brother named you, Messiah, true. Grant that as he has pointed us to you, that we would point others to you too. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.